Okay, yeah. this is good. This is good. Let's get into it. We'll see where we go. Remember, we get we got to make it up as we went and did that at living out loud in front of other people. And some of them were like, yeah, I believe you. And then <laughs> and, and they listened to us. And some of them actually succeeded, not necessarily because they listened to us, but they still think that we played a part. In- <laughs> That's true. That part is true. This <laughs> is kind of cool. Okay, yep. so here we go. Hello and welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Chase Wardman-Reeves, co-founder of Fizzle. On the show today, we have a very special show, potentially the most special show ever of The Fizzle Show. It looks like this might be the last episode of The Fizzle Show. That doesn't mean that we're done. That doesn't mean any of us are done. In fact, we're going to be learning about what's going to happen next. But the reason why I say this might be the most important episode of The Fizzle Show is because if you believe, as I do, that we get better with age, like fine wines, we're growing and maturing and learning more about how things actually work, then, dear listener, This is indeed the best show of all because it's the one that we're the most mature in. It's the one we've learned the most before we've started. And in this episode, we are visited by several of the Fizzle team of ages past, including myself and including our founder, Corbett Barr. And we're going to talk about what have we learned about business since moving on, have our ideas about business changed, and hopefully a whole lot of shit and then tall cotton and how's your father stuff. That's my, I'm like the interim host, that's my hope. But it's great to be back on The Fizzle Show. With that, let's open this up to Corbett Barr, Caleb Wojcik, Steph Crowder, and Barrett Brooks. Everybody say hi. Hi. What's up, everybody? Chase, okay. it feels really good to let you take the wheel. <laughs> I didn't realize how difficult it is to host and bring that energy every uh-huh. time you record. So thank you for doing that for the first 300 and whatever episodes until yeah, I took right. over for a while. And here we are. Here we are. So, <laughs> Corbett, thank you. <laughs> I was chatting with somebody recently looking at the calendar and realized that it had been 10 years since we first opened the doors to customers in Fizzle way back in September of 2012, when it was just the three C's, Mm. Chase, Mm -hmm. Caleb, and myself. Man. And I thought, what better time than to do a reunion episode? People have been asking for it. People have been wondering what everyone's up to, what's up next for people. And also the podcast had a bit of an unceremonious end. I recorded an episode and then I don't know what happened. The pandemic, I guess, really brought oh. me down and it just stalled out. So here we are, the capstone episode. Here we all are. Here we all are. So it's really been 10 years since we started Fizzle. And we started the podcast a little bit a- like a-, a year or two after that or something like that. But 10 years since starting Fizzle, Corbett? Yeah. yeah That's 10 years. crazy. Caleb, 10 years. you were still in San Diego at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. You've been there the whole time. You're like the most constant turkey of us all. I've lived different places. I was going to say, how many businesses have we all changed since oh we God. launched Fizzle? Or how many houses have we all lived in? <laughs> yeah. How many children, how many children have we made? additional yeah. children in those 10 years. Wow. Wait, seriously? Eight additional children? Seven. Yeah. Aiden was born already. 
right? Because okay. Aiden is like 12 now. True. Aiden, okay. you're talking to me? Oh, you're talking to me. <laughs> yeah, 13. He's that, 13. That's, that's your child. Like, I have a son. I have a son. Yeah. That's your firstborn. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, how? what do we got here? A baker's dozen of children now? I have two. Oh, yeah. I have two. Everybody hold up the fingers and the amount of kids that I've they got have. Two. Oh, wow. Watchik has three? He ended yeah, up I had with two three. at once a year ago. Oh my gosh. They didn't come out of me. <laughs> you guys got, you had twins? Yeah, a year ago. The breastfeeding wow. with twins, I can't even imagine. Oh my God. Yeah. What's the sci fi movie where she's got the one in the middle? Yeah, that is a total, total recall. recall. Total recall. Total recall. <laughs> yeah. You almost, and need that that. Is you almost need that. Yeah. Firmly embedded in my psyche. Yes. The oh governor. my gosh. Congratulations, man. Thank you. You got Thank a you. quiver. Everybody does. That's beautiful. Who has the children that are children? I was right. Yeah, yeah, you were right. I forgot that Caleb had twins. I don't know how. Yep. I always forget one, too. <laughs> Who has the two that are closest in age besides twins? 12 minutes. Anyone be that? Yeah. yeah, 12 minutes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm 13 and a five-year-old. Who has, who has Steph, how old are your oldest? Six and three this weekend. So three, three years weekend. apart. Three and a half years apart. So ours would be closest then, I guess. No, Caleb, y'all's were closer. Even uh, the, like 21 months about? Yeah, ours are more than that. Wow. Like two and a half What years a apart. fertile group. What a fertile group. <laughs> That's right. our tax so, line of the podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> if we've accomplished anything, yeah, it's been yeah. reproduction. Yeah, we've given more. We've created some people to take on the problems of the world when we're gone. Yep, Indeed. exactly. Love it. I was looking back at some fizzle stats and Stripe tells me that we served over 30,000 customers over the 10 years. Wow. wow. We did millions in revenue. I won't say exactly what for a particular reason that I'll mention here in a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. And then the podcast, 389 episodes, around 6 million downloads. We switched our analytics provider at some point. I don't remember exactly ah, what it was from there. That's right. Yeah, we lost but, every, uh, the first like year or something, didn't we? Yeah, we were on Libsyn or something, and then we switched over to Fireside, where we Fireside. are Fireside, yeah. But and, great stats. Yeah, feels good. 10 years. And then we also had the five of us, plus we should say thanks to the other folks that followed on after you, some of whom were on the podcast. We had Jen... Aiden, Joe, and then Mike and Becca, who have been with Fizzle recently supporting customers. Nice. What a cool crew. Mm. What a great group of people. I just feel any of us could hang out for a weekend and have an amazing time together in any combination. Grade um, A turkeys. Grade A. <laughs> grade A turkeys, exactly. Yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to bring us together to announce today, and then we'll get into the meat of the episode, because I'm really curious what all of you have been up to what your views on business have become over the years. And uh, we should reminisce a little about what happened on the Fizzle episodes back in the day. But just this month, we sold Fizzle to a lovely business called Zen Business based out of Texas. And uh, my time with Fizzle will be coming to a conclusion as well soon. Mm -hmm. So this is, it's all coming full circle. And uh, I'm just glad the business didn't fizzle out so to speak, mm -hmm. <laughs> that it found a home because I've been up to a whole lot of stuff since then. And it hasn't been necessarily my main focus. And so I'm glad that somebody is grabbing the, the torch and running with it in the future. So there'll be an announcement post along with this, with a bunch of details, but uh, Zen business. Right on. Congratulations. Congrats, mm -hmm. man. Thanks. Feels good. 
You're the only one of us who stuck with it the whole 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. That's a big commitment. (laughs) It's a big commitment. Although (laughs) I didn't have any children. Maybe that's why. Yeah. There you go. Maybe Zen business will buy one of our children. (laughs) (laughs) Remember when it was called Lemonade? I do remember that. Yeah. That's right. Before Fizzle, we just called it Lemonade. Yeah, when it was like a working document, like a working title, not something we were ever going to launch with, but like something that was like, it's like the lemonade stand. Mm -hmm. We're teaching people how to do the basics of business, but with a lynda.com model. And now a company called Lemonade sells me insurance. I'll be darned. I'll be darned. (laughs) Okay, so Corbett, how does it feel? Like, how does it feel to, to spend probably a little over 10 years, maybe, I don't know, building mm. towards this thing. It was, Fizzle was a, in a large part, like a kind of a culmination of things you were doing at Think Traffic beforehand. And the, in the process of doing Fizzle, we like eventually merged those two things together and consolidated them. And so what is it like now after working at it for so many years and carrying it and wondering what should, what like to do with it next and who to hire and all, like all of this stuff is about to you don't have to think about it anymore and yeah just what does it feel like it's you never think you're going to work on something for 10 years and it's crazy how fast 10 years went by i think you also have this idea like when you start a business that you're going to just work on that only like mm. that you're going to build something it's going to become like your main thing and you're only going to focus on that and that it will have a really concrete start and a concrete end. But then what really happened was there have been a whole lot of other things that have overlapped for me that I've been working on over the past like three or four years that weren't fizzle. And so it kept simmering in the background. But I think it's just not that it's been a huge shock, but it's something to think about. Like when you start something that you may end up needing to run it on the background And if you really want to like stick with it long enough to sell it or to see it to some significant conclusion, then you Mm. might just have to continue to feed and care for it while you're doing something else and like Mm. making the space for that kind of got me back into the the feeling of remember when you worked for an employer and you were trying to get something going on the side, Mm. feeling like that, like having Mm. this little thing happening in the background. Yeah. Maybe we could start with you, Corbett. Like what, how has your view of business, what has changed in your way of looking at business now compared to when you got started with Fizzle? Maybe we'll try to make that comparison. And then, cause there's so much, I feel like I learned during while we built Fizzle was like my PhD. And, and I, like I've said on Twitter before I went to the I went to the master's business school of Corbett Barr and we like figured it out together the learning throughout, but what have you, what do you notice about what has changed in your perspective on business? I think the biggest thing is probably just having the emotional maturity to be able to admit to yourself that you have no idea whether something's going to work or not Mm. and how successful it might be. And when you start to meet real serial entrepreneurs, people that do this for a lifetime and real investors, people that make bets and see them through, you understand from them as well. Like maybe they get excited about something. Maybe they're really hopeful that something will work out, but really you don't know. All you can do is have a great team in place in a great market and try to provide the resources 
the food that something needs to grow and then hope that it works out and put in the effort and execute as best as you can. Mm. But there's a lot of factors at play with markets and competition and everything else that mean you just really don't know until you get something out there. And it's really interesting being a small entrepreneur, somebody who can just pick up and start something new and try it out and whatever. Over the past several years, I've been helping out a company called Sounds True based out of Colorado. They became a customer of a software platform that I built, and I'm helping them right now launch a new subscription-based platform about mindfulness and meditation, yoga, and so on. And uh, they're not entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And so to watch them making all of the mental mistakes that all of us probably made in the beginning when we were trying to start a business, thinking that if we just tack on these five extra features, that's what's going to make it. Mm, but we haven't yeah. even launched the thing yet. And so you don't know if it's going to be a success or not. And just watching how difficult it is for me as one person to try to impart that knowledge on them, because you really can't see it until you've gone through it. You really mm. can't see how you get so wrapped up in launching something and thinking that it's like your one shot, like that Eminem song, Caleb, mm -hmm. can you wrap it for us? <laughs> okay, and, on your sweater, yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that, I don't know, that's the biggest thing for me, I think. And just realizing that you're gonna have to take multiple shots in your career and you don't get like an unlimited number of opportunities, but you don't know. It's like you see a microcosm of it with a single blog post or a tweet or an Instagram post or something. You don't know which one's going to take off and do really well. Some you think will, and they don't. Some you think are just an afterthought and they do. And the same thing is true of business ideas, but obviously you can't start that many. So you have to be more thoughtful about it. Kerbic Burr, the famous entrepreneur. <laughs> For some reason that's in my head. You have always been so, I think your perspective was much more entrepreneurial than mine. And I learned how to do that. I learned a lot about how to do that by being with you for so long, because what you're saying, and here, tell me if I'm getting you right. You don't know what you have to, this sort of humility of realizing you don't know what's going to work or not. And built on top of, I think what that immediately leads to is a kind of, and so you're going to test and iterate. Like this iteration thing was something that we lived out. We ate our own dog food on that. And we taught that a lot as well. It seems like that's piggybacks on it, but is the gist of it is you don't know what's going to work. And so you have to come in with humility. And what did you say? You said like emotional maturity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think all of us have now that we've all been entrepreneurs for 10 plus years, we've seen people who we know are brilliant and yet they still don't have a real big success under their belt. And we've <laughs> well, also I'm raising seen my people, hand. <laughs> <laughs> we've also seen people who are, who had a big success. And then their second thing was a flop. And it's like the, yeah. the sophomore slump in in music. Yeah, definitely. It's it, it, Corbett, just like you, it is definitely a perspective that you seemed to grok early, maybe from your career as a consultant, it helped you see that more and more, but maybe just from like reading the sort of blogs and the books that you were reading before, but it was a perspective that you had intact throughout, like from the beginning. I would say. And we definitely danced with, I am the opposite. I'll go next. I'll go next. Like making fizzle was 
making anything for me is actually a deeply personal and artistic exploration. It's part of where my sort of area of genius is, uh, is, I don't know, it's a performance. It feels like a performance for me. And I really like performing. And throughout with Fizzle. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you. <laughs> I, this might come as a surprise, but I'm lonely. No, I need you to like me. No, I'm going to do this stuff. I'm going to make it in a way. And there's something about it that I really wanted it to be. I really want what I make to be done my way. I want it to be done fresh and new, maybe, but authentic more than anything else. Something that's here's how I see it. Here's what I think is important. That was constantly a challenge for me and Fizzle to be teaching something that I didn't feel super like qualified in just because I didn't have the years and the reps under my belt. And yet I was, and yet the very first course I put out was defining your audience. And I would still send someone to that course these days. I would still say, yes, service is the secret sauce. If you can get into this perspective and see that you're not the Luke Skywalker of your business, you're actually like an Obi-Wan or a Yoda, a mentor or a guide, the customer is the main character and they have a whole empire to defeat. And you're going to only give them like a little tool. You only give them like a little part of it. That's still as real to me. It's surprising to me, like the defining your audience and figuring that out, that that kind of stuff out and getting into a perspective on how to think about business still feels like a critical first step that I, I see a lot of people get wrong. What's changed since then? That, that's the same. What's changed since then? Like you mentioned, Corbett, the iteration, the... the like I learned all about that iteration and trying and testing things out in my career at Fizzle. I've probably landed more in the sort of artistic, they're going to keep following you because they're interested in you side of things that I think is just continuing to become more and more essential in a noisy world of social media, personal brands going, pick me. And to be able to land even harder on what, what you think, what your fucking take is, pardon my French, what, how, what you think is actually important about this. And the world that I live in is all sorts of brand deals. And I'm incentivized by affiliate rates and, and bonuses and this, that, and the other. It's more important than ever to go, here's what I really think. Because those the people who are still around, the people who stick around, they only do so because there's some kind of realness that they're getting from you. The whole world feels like it's made out of marketing. And the the game is still so much to me. Like, how do we get the word out about stuff that's important and help brands that are making interesting things be able to be successful even during a pandemic. But nobody, like no dad out there cares about fucking brands. You know what I mean? I'm not like, oh, I wonder what brands are going to find. I'm going to find on Twitter today. It's, no, we don't care about that at all. It's I need a good diaper that's not going to leak. I need, I need something to feed my, to put in my kid's lunchbox that like, I feel good about the nutrition of. I need 
whatever. I need a travel backpack that can fit all my stuff and be organized enough and won't break on me when I'm out there. And it, if it means I spend $100 more than I could spend over here, it's worth it if it does it all and it will last a long time. So anyways, all of that to say, the I've, I think the one thing that it hasn't changed, but I've only doubled down on more and more is this importance of you, like we, we're going to be interested in what you have to say if you have fucking something to say. And mo by the way, most people don't have something to say. Everyone has something to bitch about. Not everybody has something that's, and I've done the work and here's what my, here's what I think and can communicate that in a way that is followable and interesting. So the essential, like it's even more essential, the heart and the soul of the entrepreneur. Like that, that, and the reason why that stuff is just so much more interesting. And it was always interesting from the start, even at Fizzle. I don't know. So does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And I just, the thing I think that was running through your comments also is the intense juxtaposition of the fundamentals, like knowing your customer and being a real person and just helping people solve problems, the yeah. fundamentals, which are still intact, have always existed, always will. Versus you just hit on it a little bit, the world that you live in, YouTube, mm. which didn't exist, this whole influencer world, whether you're on in, YouTube or TikTok or whatever, yeah. didn't exist like 10 years ago. But now there's a whole infrastructure around it with um. people, agents and marketers and deals and trying to cobble together a bunch of influencers to launch your thing and all of that stuff that didn't exist just a little while ago. And yeah. you do have to learn both. Without the fundamentals, you wouldn't have the opportunity to learn the ropes in terms of like how to run that actual business. Yeah, yeah, totally. And another thing that's the same as it ever was is just that, gosh, telling your story, knowing how to actually communicate what you do is as essential as it's ever been. It's more essential than ever. There's so many competing messages, probably in the same niche, probably spending the same amount of money as you right now trying to get their products bought over yours. So being able to identify and tell your story, identify what makes you unique and what the important bits of that story are, which by the way, there is absolutely methods by which you can test and iterate what stories work best. And that was always the stuff at Fizzle that got me. That just felt like I wanted to come up with an idea that felt good and true and just fucking go with it. And Corbett, you were always bringing us back to let's test it out and see how it does. And learning that over time taught me that emotional maturity to take the sort of take the artistic out of it. You always need this creative and artistic to come up with the ideas, but then the analytical has to come in and go like, all right, which of these creative ideas is actually going to, to perform better? Yeah. And I learned from you to not get so wrapped up in the analytics sometimes and just just feel it and run with yeah. it and see what happens. And sometimes that's the right answer. But it is like there is a lot of gut involved. Yeah, because it's also it's like what works best can be a never ending search for a lost city of made of gold or something like that. What works best can be forever and ever versus just like what what works enough i yeah. think often about expert enough that one site that you guys had going for a while there expert enough i still think it's a brilliant name it's like expert enough it's like more man than you <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I got a dot com i can sell you <laughs> 
I think it's a good idea. I think it's, I think there's like a, I think there's a handbook in that. There's like a self-help book in that for entrepreneurs or for maybe personal branding or something. I don't know. The other thing that changed is like more ideas of fucking businesses. Do you guys keep coming up with business ideas? Oh yeah. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. Caleb, you've been involved in a lot of uh, different projects. Like you've gotten to know a lot of like really well-known people online, worked with a lot of well, yeah. And Barrett's holding up a switch pod over there, like an actual physical item that you yeah. produced. Like what, tell people what you've been up to and how your perspective has changed. Since I left Fizzle like eight years ago now, I've ran a video production company pretty much full time that entire time. But yeah, I also started a physical product business about three or four years ago with Pat Flynn for SwitchPod. It's a tripod that YouTubers and vloggers and stuff use. And also I sell my own courses and make my own content from time to time. So I've been on the service side, the digital side, the physical side, have a hand in all three, but just work with a lot of different entrepreneurs, startups, making videos for them, making a lot of educational content. That's our bread and butter. It's what I was doing at Fizzle, just filming other people and having people edit of their courses and helping them launch them. So it's doing similar stuff, but also have taken on other projects too. I, I was thinking the other day, or I noticed the other day, I'm having like a, a really good financial year and it's not from one particular source. It turns out that a bunch of little things add up over time. And we probably talked about it. We gave like lip service to multiple revenue streams, but I never realized how important they were until you get older and you start to have some things trickling in that you don't have to work on or pay attention to that much. And it sounds like you have multiple revenue streams. You've got SwitchPod and the consulting and everything else. And has that become a thing for you, starting to realize how important that is? And did you think about it, putting it together that way? Oh, definitely. Yeah, both. Both. Yes. I purposely started with doing client work first when I left Fizzle because it's the fastest way to get money. I had a very small audience online at the time. So trying to just go full into making content and making courses and trying to make money that way, I probably would have failed but first went to the money to do client work. And then you do that long enough. You're like, okay, you're always chasing clients. What happens when you don't have clients, that sort of thing. You want more stability. That's why I continue to build my audience to have courses and those things become more passive. You make course sales. Sometimes and you don't know the person and you get affiliate income regularly like you do chase. So it's as much, or it's not as big of wins, but over a constant long-term having a digital business where you have an audience is steadier. And then the physical product was not something I really planned on creating. It just happened. And because I had income from clients and digital, I could experiment with that. I could put money into that. I could put time into it. And then it ended up exploding. And then I was like, okay, how do I also do that at the same time as everything else? It's crazy too. It's easy to write off like some of those little like affiliate checks that you get. But to imagine like there are people out there struggling and raising families. And if they got a check in the mail from like a, an anonymous source. Like we don't even really know sometimes like how this affiliate thing came together or whatever. It's not like you focus on it, but you get a check for 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or $500 or something. And you start to think, oh my God, that's like a car payment. Yeah. And it's not something that I'm focused on at all. It's something that I did. I still get checks from this company called Aweber, which was like a an email marketing service that are hundreds of dollars a month. And I haven't done anything with them for 12 years or something. And one of the things I know that we did talk about along the way was this idea that the results that you get in the first month after you launch something aren't the full picture. 
because you might create an ebook or a course or do an affiliate deal and the lifetime earnings of that might take 10 years to see. And yes, the two months that you spent upfront don't seem worthwhile necessarily because the launch was only a couple of sales, but you never know, like in the long run, it, it could really add up over time. Yeah. And I've even heard that bigger YouTubers like Mr. Beast, who's one of the biggest, they won't even do ad deals for more than a certain amount of time. They will actually go in and edit the video at the year mark or at the three month mark or yes. something, because a company will want to pay for X number of views, but that video is going to stay on YouTube in perpetuity mm. and get hundreds of millions of views because it's Mr. Beast and mm. they don't want to like have that company they worked with get that much value if mm. they're not going to pay for it. There's those types of things too, where I put out a video, one of my first videos on YouTube still brings in Amazon affiliate revenue and things like that. And it's one of my worst videos about a random product. I was just one of the first people to make a video about it. And YouTube likes that video and it just keeps making affiliate income and you don't know which of your videos is going to do that or which of your pieces of content or what you make. You just have to keep doing it and mm. keep putting things out there. Yeah. Steph. Yes. Yeah. It's what's really interesting for me when I was making some notes about like things that have views of mine that have changed, I actually had a hard time coming up with anything that's changed, which I think is very telling. I think so much of what we talked about here on the show has only proven to be true. So for example, like I just think about how often we talked about the basics, leading with value, don't be a dick, be a real person. It's just like time and time again, that being true, no matter what it is that you're pursuing and hand in hand with that, it's been really interesting, even in these past few years to see the changing of the guard, these different platforms that have come and gone. We talked so much on, on the Fizzle Show about not building a house on rented land and how important it is to build your own audience. And I remember having so many conversations about Instagram was new. You guys remember that? It was like the rise of Instagram and yeah. Papa Corbett Barr was like, Hey, I've seen this happen. I've seen the rise and fall of yeah. Twitter and whatever was before that. And so now here we are in 2022 and look what's happening. I was just reading an article the other day about these poor people who have built like incredible businesses on Instagram who are like, my views are 30% of what they used to be because, and we always talked about that. The, al uh, the algorithm is going to do whatever it wants to do and it can happen. It never feels like it's going to happen when you're bringing in uh, your six figure months using a platform like Instagram, but then something like TikTok comes along and now look at TikTok. People are like quitting their jobs in droves because they got a $7,500 brand deal with one video of them holding their cat in their pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> which is something I saw the other day. I was like, and so when you see that as a business owner, as a thought leader, who's really like Chase was saying, like really trying to develop your voice and figure out what it is that you stand for and what you care about and what you're trying to do in the world. And then you see that it can be really discouraging and also tempting to be like, how do I jump on that bandwagon? But the reality is these things are all tools that come and go every few years. Right now, TikTok is the thing. And in a few years, it'll be something else. And I remember being on the Fizzle show and you guys were saying that about Instagram. And I couldn't see it at the time. I was, I don't know, Instagram is really like the thing. And it was, it absolutely was. But now everybody's, eh, I'm talking to business owners today who are like, Instagram is dead. And that's the, remember we would have these conversations about Facebook being dead. And so that part to me has been really interesting. That's just only proven more true over time. Yeah. yeah. Your customer conversations course, I think was one of the better things that we ever made. 
I think about that course a lot. And yeah, like you said about the defining your audience course, I would, I happily send people to customer conversations still because it's, it, it will never stop being true that you have to figure out what your customers actually want and need before before you do anything else, that it has to come first. And it was practical way as like, it was Corbett's insight, what he talked about earlier as this like practical, here's how to actually do it. We're gonna have these conversations. These are the questions, here's the process. And this is how we're gonna learn what they might actually want. I just think it was- Yeah, me too. I love that course. I think one thing that has changed, or I have two things that have really changed for me. The first one is, I don't, this is a, this is an odd thing to say, and I hope it doesn't sound like a, I don't know, like a, I'm giving myself a, some kind of backwards pat on the back, but I actually was not prepared for success, I think is what happened to me. So mm. in a lot of ways, I think hustling was easier. I think that can be a comfort zone. Like we would have so many conversations on this podcast about the beginning stages where it's building something like a brand new idea. I've said this before, but you can always find me like on the front end of a project. I love that energy of starting something new. And it's, you have that shiny new idea and you're just like, it's like a new relationship. Like you stay up late working on your website. You start to romanticizing what it's going to be like when you make your first dollar, then thousand dollars, then $10,000. But eventually you reach a point where it's like, holy shit, this is actually really working. And for me, when that happened, so to to rewind for anyone who doesn't know, I so we started the Courage and Clarity podcast with Fizzle, which is a podcast I hosted. And that kind of became a spinoff business. So that's what I went to go and run in 2018, I think. So that turned into a business of its own where I was coaching clients in a group setting just on really with a marketing focus, like really what my wheelhouse has always been, which is sales and marketing and helping people develop their ideas, develop their messaging and put it out there in the world and go from feeling like no one's paying attention to getting actual paying customers. And so that was fun to work on. And it reached a point where it was a really serious, legitimate business. It was uh, the house I'm sitting in now is a house that I got to build with John. We built our house, like so many cool things happened. And that part for me actually was harder than I thought it was going to be. I think when you're starting something and you're coaching other people on how to start things, it's, oh yeah, just, you guys remember being in those stages where you're like, I just wish I could get like a hundred people on my email list, 500 people on my email list. I just want to be able to pay my bills. I just want to get to that first milestone. Mm -hmm. Then you get there and then you surpass it. Mm -hmm. And the mentality completely changes, I find. And I think that's when some of the skills that I find to be a little more challenging, which is like the CEO stuff. Like you have to open the spreadsheets and you have to understand margins and how to pay people and what kind of culture you're trying to develop. I think if you had asked me back in 2015, when I started being on the fizzle show, I don't think I had any idea how much of an up level it is to actually step into the business that you dream of. Once you have it, it's, it can, it's pretty easy to freak out is what I've learned. Yeah. And is that is that because of the public side of what you're doing, like your face being the thing that people are drawn to and the reason they sign up? Or is it more of the, I'm responsible for all of these things, these people's livelihoods, if you have employees, yeah. and just the weight of the business? Was it the having to be 
public podcast, Instagram, that stuff, or mm -hmm. the internal stuff? Yeah, it's a great question because this is actually my second thing that I feel has changed is I think when I set out to do this, I lean really heavily on the public side of things. That's what comes naturally to me. I, that's the easy part for me, showing up on a podcast, using my face, like using my personality. And what I've learned is that a, a personality forward business is actually pretty problematic. <laughs> I don't think I fully knew that. And the reason I say that, I know a lot of people you see online who had this rise and fall as an influencer, crazy things happen. People run into serious privacy concerns, whether that's their family, people knowing their kids on their faces, like all that kind of stuff is one thing. But for me, what it actually is that I didn't think about beforehand was like, when you build a whole business around you and your face and your brain, there's no removing yourself from it, right? There's no making a, having a business that is something you could sell, or even it becomes difficult to hire people into that business because everybody wants a piece of you. So it's like this commoditizing of oneself that I think is a comfort zone for a lot of us, myself definitely included. So for me, that's something I'm learning as I move into a next chapter in starting a new business, which is what I'm going to be doing. I'm working on creating a, a content writing agency. Mm. And in doing that, I have talked to myself about not making it the Steph Crowder show. Because for a lot of us, that we're just like, let's use our dynamic personalities to make people like us. Like, Chase, I know we've had many conversations about this, but what you don't think about is then, okay, but what if you then have kids and you want to be with them in the summer and you want to go to Europe for a month? Like you can't do any of that if people just want a piece of you. So that, that has been a huge insight for me and something that I take with me as I'm, I am personally starting a new business again, and I'll build it differently for that reason. Mm. It's, I think it's a little bit different for women yeah. And especially when your business is like on social media, sometimes mm -hmm. we all have mutual friends who have had security concerns, right? Because yes. they've become so famous and that's scary. Mm -hmm. It's that, that's a, a, I understand that concern and how yeah. you might not want. Personally, I found though, that since we stopped podcasting and since I haven't been as active online, I really miss the connection and the little just touch of internet fame when you're at a conference or out and about and people talk to you. There was a time when somebody stopped me at the airport and I was with like 15 friends and they were like, whoa, look at this guy. And just that, <laughs> or like when Chase's parents got in a taxi and somehow Chase came up and the taxi driver's like, you're Chase Reeves' parents? <laughs> he was like blown away. <laughs> and just that little cred that your parents are like, oh, I guess my son actually does something for a living and that matters. I miss that just a little bit. Yeah. So it, it would be nice if there was something in between. Exactly. People know who Steph Crowder is, but they're not stalking you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And not feeling if I'm going to sell something that if it's not me rendering the services that people don't want it because they don't feel like that's what they bought. That's what's mm. really challenging is building yes. something where you are not the entirety of the value because it's a comfort zone for a lot of people. They're like, oh, I'll just figure it out. I'll just be myself and people will buy that. But you don't really think about what that will cost you downstream when you want to, when you grow out of that a little bit and you're like, mm. okay, the flash and whiz bang of being a little bit in the spotlight was cool for a while, but also it's cool to take a week off. It's crazy to think about all the influencers. We could do episodes just on the people that have come and gone over yeah. the years that yes. were really big. But then looking at the people who are still here and even bigger than they were, we used to talk a lot about Gary Vaynerchuk mm -hmm. and to see that he's like 
better than ever. And somehow running this agency that's based on him, I don't know how he manages to not show up to meetings when people hire, but I guess you got to pay the big bucks if you want him to show up or whatever, but it's crazy. Barrett, what are you hearing over there? I love how everybody's just patiently waiting. I think what happened this episode is we got beyond the point of being able to talk over one another because we used to do it so well when there were just like three of us, maybe even four mm. of us, but you get to five and yeah. it's a little bit too much chaos. Totally. Five voices there. It could be literal chaos. There was a moment where I thought about it, where Chase dove right into what's changed about your thoughts on business. And I was almost like, hold the fuck on. We need to figure out where everyone is. I don't even know what's happening here with all these people. <laughs> But I didn't. I let it just ride. So, <laughs> so mature. So mature. <laughs> oh, man. What am I hearing? I don't know. I think I hear from all of us that in a lot of ways, I think we all had seeds of ideas that have played out and worked out for us. And you've seen it in the different ways we've gone in our careers that the natural way that we each think about business works for us in a lot of ways. And there are weaknesses to that and we have to recognize them. And I think we've all grown more mature and figuring out how to compensate for the downside of whatever we're great at. But I think we've also all proven that whatever my like spreadsheet mentality works in a lot of ways. And there's a good way to apply that. And Chase's creative mentality works. And there's a great way to apply that and on down the line. So I just love like sitting here and listening to it and hearing how that's played out so well over the years. For me, I was writing a couple of things down. I thought I'd touch on a couple of money things because we used to talk about money a bunch. And certainly my views on money as it relates to business, I think have grown and changed over time. But my first thing, I might've believed this seven years ago or eight years ago or whenever it was that I, we started working together. But I definitely believe now that how hard you work has nothing to do with how much money you make. Like mm-hmm. nothing. The idea you pick the business model you pick, the scale of the solution that you're working on, those all matter way more than how hard you're working. Like you could work just as hard on two different things. uh, And one person could end up having $10 million in the bank. And the other person could end up still working just as hard 10 years later and have nothing to show for it. And so the ideas that you pick to work on and the scalability of those things, if money matters and what you're doing, and for a lot of people in entrepreneurship on some level, it matters. I think that it's important. Like you should think about that up front. The second thing I was thinking about is that how much money you make. So let's say you do make money changes almost nothing about how you think and feel about money. In my experience, Hmm. it's a separate thing to work on how you feel about money than how many dollars are in the bank. And my experience of that has been that I feel basically the same about money, even though my personal money situation is like, completely different than it was 10 years ago. And I've had to do, Caleb, you used to talk about this a lot about a money mindset kind of shift of like, how do I think about how I use and benefit from and am generous with money now versus before. So that's been really interesting just to see that play out and try and adapt to over time. My wife still won't buy a full price cocktail at a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) What does she do? It's either happy hour or she'll order a beer. <laughs> like wow. either we go to happy Reach hour over and she'll and make order... her own kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Over the bar. Yeah. No, seriously. Sometimes <laughs> she'll bring her own like road soda or something. It's the extra $2 just does not matter at all. <laughs> and yet those money mindset things are so deep 
Yeah. Now that you bring it up, I have a How's Your Father, Chase. You wanted to get some of these. What do you listen to? Yeah. Uh, a few days ago, I started listening to Ramit Sethi's podcast. He's been doing it for about a year, but he talks to couples, various stages of financial. But I'm always interested in the people that have a net worth of five, ten million dollars hmm. and will buy strawberries at one store and cherries at another store. <laughs> He's like, do you understand that it's not worth your time to do that? And they're like, but it's five dollars. And it's like <laughs> Yep. He's like, yep. that's half a penny to you compared to somebody else at yeah. the grocery store. If you're struggling with those money mindset things, either while you're in debt or way past it, that's an interesting podcast. Oh, interesting. Good call. Yeah. yeah. I think another big thing that I've learned over the years is you've probably heard people online talk about this idea of first principles and like trying to go all the way back to the kind of foundational reasoning behind a given idea or why a business might or might not work. And I've grown to be a much stronger believer in that approach of the emotion of a thing matters a lot. Your like your personal connection to it, the art behind a thing, the like spirit behind a thing. But I think you also have to have some level of ability to go all the way down to the foundation and say, for example, if you come up with an idea and someone says to you, like someone would have already done that if it were going to work, the emotional response to that is, oh shit, they're right. I shouldn't do this or at least that's my emotional response to that. Hmm. But if that is not fundamentally true, if like the fundamentals of the idea are, I'm going to build this physical product, this like tripod thing. And the reason someone hasn't done it is because it's hard to manufacture a thing. And all the people who know that they have a need for a thing like this don't know how to make it. But the economics of the thing, the cost of making this, if you can make it is whatever, 27 cents. I'm not actually putting your financials out there, Caleb. I, I wish it was cost. 27 cents and sold for hundred dollars. That would be great. I wouldn't, be, Whatever, I wouldn't okay. be on this podcast. I would have bought Fizzle and all your children costs, and we would have moved somewhere. It costs 40 bucks and it costs $12 to ship it anywhere all in the United children. States. <laughs> Keep going. Sorry. It costs 40 bucks. Go. Uh, and you can sell it for a hundred bucks. And there's however many YouTubers in the world that are likely to buy it. Like that idea can work. It doesn't fucking matter that no one else has done it. The principle of the thing says that it can be a profitable business. There's all of these variables that will change how profitable and how successful it is. But basically like being able to reason from that place of do the fundamentals of this thing work. And if so, then I don't need to listen to anyone else. I just need to make the right bets in order to bring that to life and make it true. And I think I've grown more confidence in doing that over time and just not listening to people's advice from a place of, I don't feel like that should work. So fuck your feelings. The spreadsheet says it will. And so I'm going to go figure out what are the combination of activities that need to happen in order for that to become true, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one I'll just share is the value of ownership in a thing. I think I like conceptually understood that in the past, but there's a massive difference between making a salary where you're putting away a little bit of money every month, which is super valuable and a good thing to do and having ownership in a thing where if at some point in the future, that thing sells, you get a very large chunk of money at one time, or even just a moderate sum of money at one time. The difference between saving $500 a month and receiving $50,000 all at once in terms of what that does for your life and how like you can apply that money to your future is massive. And numbers and businesses that grow can get quite large, even for relatively small pieces of ownership. Hmm. And so that's just something that I don't think I fully understood in the past that now I have a great appreciation for. I value ownership over 
short-term cash compensation today because of the way that can play out with time. Good stuff. Good stuff. Just, Go for it, Corb. I just had this, this might be a little heavy for all of you, but something just came to mind. Sitting where you are right now in your lives, we've got people ranging from what, 36 to 45? Is that about right? Yeah. On this call? We've all had careers. We've all had 10 plus years in entrepreneurship. We've were to the point where we can sit back and reminisce and ruminate on what matters in business. Do you believe right now that at some point in your life and your career, you will find the perfect culmination of your potential and like what you're meant to do? And do you believe that you're working towards that right now? So if you imagine like Chase Reeves, the ultimate expression of what Chase's life is supposed to be like when it comes to career, let's say, and all the things that matter most to you, wealth, happiness, creative expression, fame, whatever it is that matters mm -hmm. to you. Do you believe that you're working towards that now and that you'll achieve it at some point in your life? Corbett, this is a, such a, like a, <laughs> it's such a fucking, I live this question. <laughs> I literally am Is that what's tattooed on your chest? Yeah, this this question. Chase is this question. <laughs> and as I'm hearing these like smarter, brighter, younger, fresher, newer versions of humans on this podcast with their insights about money and working with people and not making a business centered all the way around your personality because I, because you had some fucking forethought about it. Right. It's like, I listen to that and go like, I am fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and am I getting closer to my goal at whatever the goal is, which I refuse to make known. I refuse to get, I have tons of courage about my goal and no clarity about it. Mm. I don't know, man, but I'll tell you what I do know. It's going to cost me everything. I think I'm in this for the, like, I just, I think I just, I'm in it for the realness of it. Like I'm in it for what hurts as well as what heals. That probably sounds fucking silly, but I'm just looking at my life over the last several years. I could have had, and maybe I'm dumb. I'm smart in some ways, but I know that I'm dumb in other ways. So maybe I'm just dumb, <laughs> but maybe I'm like, no, I refused. I refused to find a better way of doing it. I'm like, I want to go like this and because I because I believe in it, maybe I believe in it. I don't know. But will I ever will the fame ever be enough for me? Probably not. Will like a fame enough as I would argue that yeah, fame enough already. And yet I still find some motivation towards greater and greater levels of recognition or people encountering my work and wanting desperately to like, why am I fucking reviewing bags still? Does anybody watch this? Because the numbers like are better that way for it responds better. But the, like the number of people who are paying attention to me in general, I'm like, this doesn't seem like it's going to serve that over time. So I am just very much in that question, Corbett, about, and it's just related to maturity, intelligence, and how much of the game board you're able to see. Because for myself, it requires so much energy to focus on what's currently at hand. 
Like I literally go from video to video. I just, that's like literally how I'm living my life. And there's something about it I actually really like. Mm -hmm. And I do stress and worry that there's a bigger picture I'm not seeing. And I just hope I'm young enough to fucking recover. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. You'll see me flame out one day. <laughs> Did you guys think that Chase would be reviewing bags like six years after he first remember like at some point he was like, yeah, I'm doing this thing on the side, reviewing some bags. Yeah. Chase, you got to give yourself some credit. It's been like incredibly successful. And you just started reviewing bags. Like what? Yeah, I, I know. I know. I know. It's a, but like, it's almost like you just chose a vessel that, Yes, could put I you did. on camera. I did. And it didn't matter what that vessel was. Yeah. It was practice. In the same way that doing the intros for this fizzle show, I don't know if I ever could identify how much that trained me in creating a really quick frame on mm. my fucking feet. What I have gotten really good at, maybe one of the best in the world at, is making a frame around, putting a frame around something. What's the story? And yeah. doing it in a way that I personally can present extremely real and authentically half the time i'm still doing it on my feet i'm like making up what i'm going to say about this product because there's something about our nervous systems like when you see somebody just finding the words as they're coming out there's something like you can't look away from it yeah and learn how to do that yeah some degree yeah, but thank you. I appreciate you, Steph. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, it's been successful. Yes, we've traveled. We've gotten to travel and see a lot of the world and live on the road as a family for five years from Airbnb to Airbnb. And and, and now we're in Austin. It's It's been crazy. Been able to do so much. And it all still feels pretty small time, pretty small potato and pretty like, I think I'm just now beginning to go. I think we're almost ready to grow up. I think we're almost ready to figure out what we're here for which might be just serving like ayahuasca in the jungle or something like that and helping you integrate the experience for the next six weeks. Because what's more important than, than helping someone deal with their own inner dialogue and their own relationship with their spouse? And all of that stuff is all has been important to me from the beginning of all of this. But it just felt like I don't want to go become a therapist even though like we're about to work with a therapist, Melissa and I, that it's like, she's like $550 an hour or something like that. I'm like, what? That's possible? But we had one discovery call with her. I'm like, I have to work with her. She's amazing. We have to do this. We have to work with this lady. I had no idea the price. I'm thinking about it. But anyways, the, there's so much meaningful stuff in life that, you know, and like we lost our middle child, baby Rowan. You guys all lived with us through that. And that's like a harrowing, crazy thing. There's so much real stuff in life that contextualizes all of the other stuff. And when all the dust settles and the smoke clears, there's going to be real shit in your life, your relationships and how you can really experience yourself and stuff like that. That is like so much more substantial than the, than how, like how successful your year was financially. And also how successful your year is financially completely opens the door for experiences that that are meaningful contributions to your life. Yeah. So it's not an either or. And I've had one foot in each of those worlds. One feels very monetizable and one feels not monetizable at all. But anyways, I think it's a great question. What do you, yeah, what do you guys like? I'm here. I'm really interested to hear what you think. I, I would push back on your question, Corbett, because I feel like meant to be to me is like predestination, which I don't mm -hmm. really agree with. I'm going to forge my own path. It's not planned out for me. I'll figure it out. 
Yeah, um, I reject the premise of your question, Caleb. Yeah, I'm not a Calvinist, sir. <laughs> and, and then the other half was potential. And I feel like potential is used in a negative way a lot of the time of, let's say, athletes. Of, oh, they had a lot of potential and uh, they yeah. wasted it kind of thing. What I would put it back on is no matter what you end up doing with your business or your life, it always comes back to you. You're the one that's going to have to do the work. Like what Barrett was talking about, advice from getting advice from other people about your business. It can be extremely helpful. But just like Chase was saying, you bring all of your life to it and your experience and your situation. And then you're the one that has to run that business or has to do it a certain way. And mm -hmm. so I, with my business, I mainly just don't even use social media and it's totally fine. Mm -hmm. And the last few years I've been able to build up my businesses to, to do better financially than I ever thought and do hundreds of thousands of dollars in private and no one needs to know who I am. And I do not care. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I, I just don't care about followers. I know that's like to a detriment of what I'm doing. Like Barrett, you were saying that's something that I strive for is to be anonymous in a lot of ways. And that hurts my business. Like I know I could get more SwitchBot sales. I know I could get bigger brand deals on my channel and make more courses. And if I like put myself or my family or whatever out on the internet more, and I just don't want to do it. And I'm figuring out a way to do it without doing that right now. And that might change in the future. I might want to be famous when I'm 40 or 50, but right now I'd rather be unknown and just live a quiet life and work with my hands and just make decent money and be happy with it. I don't need you're, to have a platform. You're not alone in that. Yeah. One of the things I've heard most over the past couple of years is like, how can I build a business without social media? Because mm -hmm. people just, it is a very exhausting yeah. and often toxic place to spend your time. And the platforms themselves built this influencer marketing stuff because mm -hmm. it wasn't as big of a thing when people owned their platform. But once people built a big audience on a platform they didn't own that didn't have a way to pay them, like at least YouTube will share their ad revenue with you. Mm -hmm. Instagram, TikTok, everywhere else doesn't do that. So the only way to make money off an audience is to put someone else's product in front of them if you don't make your own. They basically built the influencer marketing landscape because of their business model of, oh, we'll just let people come hang out here and then we'll show ads to them and they won't get any of the money and it'll be great. And yeah. that's what they did. So now yeah. people have to figure out another way to make money off of that. The changes in the influencer stuff mentioned, you mentioned stuff that like we watched Instagram come up mm -hmm. and now we're watching it go away. And Corbett yeah. saying, we've seen this before. I think that there's, we were, t Corbett, because of your input, before we were set up to to watch that. But I think a lot of people don't realize this building, still building your business on rented sort of space kind of thing. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like that's how these tech companies operate. I think also something that's really shifted for me is these tech companies have more political power than countries. And that's like wild that they're, they're not for bad reason. Like they have more, people in them than countries and so the shape the landscape continues to shift and change and like influencer marketing when you're talking about influencer stuff caleb i'm thinking of the original like colgate family radio hour and i'm like okay i think this is actually really old and who owned the the bandwidth there and then these networks bought that bandwidth and they're like we need shit to put through here and then we need companies to pay for 
the production of this and yet it, so it's it's, it's all not that much system. different than yeah than well npr maybe is a little bit more self-funded but like garrison keeler and that sort of stuff they were funded by the ads that ran in the middle yeah. of their radio show if you want entertainment and information for free like someone else has got to pay for it i think the, the brand deal i keep trying to put together is hey man i'm gonna make stuff you're just going we want to help chase make stuff like colgate's paying for chase's life and now he's making things sorry corbett keep going i think the difference now though is that the platforms have every reason in the world to make all of us on the planet compete for attention on their platforms and to spend hours and hours creating content for free yeah. with no guarantee of payback because then for them, they win either way. As yeah. long as they have more content, the best content is going to rise up and that person's going to be famous and they're going to have outsized results from it. But think of the hundreds of thousands of people that spend a good portion of their lives mm -hmm. creating on TikTok and never see anything from it. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that it's maybe not worth their time because all of us, I think, have stories of where the journey was actually the reward or the journey led to something else, personal growth, business opportunities. Think about all of us are here because probably we started a blog at one point or we started a YouTube channel. But this is as true as ever that you need to own the relationship with your customer in some way. And if you build it on TikTok and you're able to use that platform to get in touch with a lot of people, that's great. You maximized it, but you have to take it somewhere else before TikTok is on the decline. Hey, Steph, like 12 minutes ago, you were going to jump in. With oh, thanks, Barrett. No, it's all good. I was just thinking, I'm glad the discussion went there because that was really interesting. I was going to go in a little bit of a different direction to answer Corbett's question of are we on the path to, for our potential to meet how did you phrase it, Corbett? What exactly was the question? It's 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 almost episode one of the podcast started about self-realization or self-actualization. Mm -hmm. It's that, it's yeah. that question. Hmm. For me, I think the what I the question I'm interested in the most that's related to that one is I very much feel like I'm on the path, but the thing I have to always ask myself, and I think we should all and everyone listening should ask themselves, is what's gonna be the thing that prevents you as an individual. What's your, basically what's your shit, right? Chase talked about it a little bit for himself, but what's like your particular brand of whether you want to call it mindset stuff or just an obstacle that you are going to have to work through to, that could possibly prevent you from getting there. For me, mm -hmm. I know that I have a lot around hard work. Barrett talked a little bit about this and I completely agree. That's been something I've had to learn too, is that really doesn't matter how hard you work. It matters and it doesn't. In a lot of ways, it doesn't. But when you're someone like most of us who came up, you guys all know me, right? Like I was the Notre Dame grad, the straight A student, the perfectionist, all of those things. It's really hard to actually digest the fact that you can work, like you don't actually have to work that hard. And for me, sometimes what I find is that if things start feeling too easy, that's where I actually freak out about it. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. something like there's a glitch in the matrix. This can't be, mm. the IRS is going to arrest me. <laughs> like something is happening here. This should be harder. There should be more struggle. So for me, when I like go to that self-actualization place, I'm in a place where I'm not actually working that hard. And that will be very different than the Steph who started on this path 
years ago. So I think it's really important for every person to know what's that thing that it's like a scratch in the record that is going to keep coming back up for you. And until you really reckon with that, you're never going to get all the way there. I was talking to a good friend of the Fizzle show, actually, Claire Pels, Claire Pelletro and I are buddies who are still friends. She was saying this to me the other day. She's what if your life is like a two right now? Like you think it's an eight, but what if it's a two? And it's a question I just keep thinking about. And so I think if everyone wants to ask themselves that question, the answer is going to be like, what's the thing that's going to actually change your life. And for, it'll be different for every individual person, but it'll keep popping up on your career path and probably in other places of your life too, but there's no way around it is what I'm finding. So I don't know. That's what, that's what came to mind for me. God damn it, Steph. That's the nugget from this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to be of service. That was really good. I go ahead, Bert. I think about this question a lot. I feel like you and I talk about it like at our friend's backyard pool all the time, Corbett, of like, where are we on this path? And I think sometimes it can feel like you've taken a detour and sometimes for practical reasons often, and sometimes it can feel like you're right on it, but you can't solve the practicalities of things like paying the bills. And so I think so much of it for me feels like finding this overlap between what I want, which is like to be of service to people in a way that can make good money that provides for my family and in a, with a method that feels good, you know, that doesn't feel like I'm like selling my soul or sacrificing myself in artificial ways. And so that comes back to kind of Chase's point of, yeah, we all have these things that happen to us early in life that shape how we process every event in the world. We, we learn a way of being to make up for these other things that we had to cope with. And so like for me, I learned early on that bad feelings are scary and we should like repress them big time. Don't pay attention to those. So be optimistic, look forward. Don't think about the bad stuff. Don't ask for too much because you might get in trouble or get yelled at. And so don't have needs. And so a lot of my work has been, all right, cool. So that's how I naturally show up. Don't say what I need. Don't acknowledge my negative feelings and just like grit my way through shit and sacrifice myself on behalf of the team or the company or the family or whatever. And so I think so much of my path is how not to show up like that, but instead to say, I do have needs and needs are okay. And these are what my needs are. And that meeting really pissed me off. And it's better for me to just say that and then work through it, then repress it, be angry and not realize it and then mm-hmm. have it sit as like pain in my shoulder or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so there's these, there's two different paths here. There's like the macro trajectory. And then I think there's the like micro experience of the day to day of what it feels like along the way, which Chase has been saying for over a decade to us. And we just weren't listening closely enough or something. And so, okay. So if I apply that to my own trajectory, do I think I'm on that? I think so. I think hitting eject from my last role at ConvertKit, where I was like COO, important, I felt good, it like looks good on LinkedIn and all this stuff. And I also felt myself like slowly withering inside. I could tell I was further and further away from the path over time. It was a hard thing to hit eject from because it was super comfortable. And it was like a guaranteed more and more money and like stuff like that over time for where the company was at. But I think sometimes you just have to be willing to hit eject on stuff. And I think part of what's hard about entrepreneurship is you get really tied up in an idea. Like your identity and the idea are sometimes the same thing. 
And sometimes you need to hit stop on the direction you're heading to correct for where you want to end up, you mm -hmm. know, even if it's not predetermined or even if you can't know what that's supposed to look like. Sometimes you just have to be like, okay, I did this thing over here. It was helpful for a time. I learned some stuff and I realized it's the wrong trajectory. And so I got to come back to center. And so I spent this whole past year just like searching. Mm -hmm. I edited a book about climate change. I spent six months in a coffee company. Like I did all these things to figure out, all right, where's center for me right now? But I think it comes back to, I want to feel a sense of peace. I want quiet life to feel good. I don't want it to have to be loud and always on and in public for it, for me to feel okay. I don't want to have to get approval for me to feel good. I want to experience joy like day to day, not just in little tiny moments along the way. I want to experience deep thought. I want to be able to like think very deeply about things. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about social media is just, it's horrible for our thinking process. Because if you think about what happens on Twitter, let's say you follow a thousand people, 300 of them tweet, 300 people are throwing you their random thoughts about whatever in no order with no hierarchy of information. And you're just consuming it. And you think you're going to go think deeply about that thing you were supposed to write right after that? Fuck that. You've got 25 different thought paths that just opened up in your mind. Hmm. So I think some of what I'm trying to do is let's put all that shit away. And from a place of like, where am I trying to be right now? What do I want to be thinking about intentionally? And then going deep on that rather than just like fire hosing what the world wants to throw at me. So anyways, I don't know. Those are just like some thoughts on... There's like this micro path of what does the day-to-day -day feel like? And then there's the macro of, am I being of service to the world in a way that feels good to me, but for the, and for the right reasons. I feel like Chase, you should pay him $550. That was like some therapy <laughs> right there. <laughs> that was good. Well, I said. like the eject. I like the eject part of it. Cause the, the alternative to ejecting is crashing. Like you yes. chose to press eject. You did yeah. like the plane didn't fizzle out for lack of a better term. Like, you were going to crash and you chose to eject, which is the proactive thing to do to save mm -hmm. yourself. Fuck the plane's crashing, but yeah. you're saving yourself. And so mm -hmm. I like the proactive part of even that word choice. Mm. It's remarkable how much after you get that initial success in business, you have to, the initial success is you have to prove your, to yourself that you can do it. Mm -hmm. And you have to earn enough money to pay for your lifestyle and make your family happy, right? After that, it's all about understanding yourself and figuring out, like Steph said, what your blockers are, understanding what makes you happy, understanding what your actual like sweet spot is that allows you to operate in perpetuity and do like good work. For me, it's not this question of hard work. Steph was talking about the shock that you don't have to work crazy hard and yet you can still <laughs> succeed. For me, I think I've understood, I've realized that I can only work so hard. I can put in 30 good hours a week. And beyond that, I'm like a zombie. And for short sprints, you can do more, whatever. But you've got a certain number of good hours a week. And I actually enjoy working. So I'm going to do that regardless. So the question is, where am I putting my effort? Because there is a multiplier on that time. And whether that multiplier is wealth, fame, happiness, or impact, actually like impacting other people, whatever it is that you're working towards, 
there is some multiplier on that. And so your 30 hours times the thing that you could be doing to have the greatest effect for you or other people, when I feel like I'm not on that path, that's when I get freaked out. And I think that's what Barrett was saying. He felt like he wasn't on that path to multiply his efforts in a way that led to the results that he wanted. Hmm. Yeah. And we, yeah. we all started this path just wanting to earn a buck and not work for someone else or whatever it was. And then it comes like full circle to deep therapy sessions, whether you're actually doing therapy or just like learning about yourself over time. By mm. the way, does everybody here do therapy or has done therapy over mm. time? Yeah. Everyone have, shake. Have shake done. Yeah. Have yeah. Done. yeah. Yeah. Have done. Yeah. I think it's important, right? To have someone else call you out and tell you like what you're doing wrong. It's awesome when you have people that you've worked with in business over the years who know you really well and can call you out. If I need something, a checkpoint, I can talk with Barrett for an hour and he can say, knowing what I know about you, here's why that isn't a good idea. Or here's mm -hmm. maybe how you should tweak that idea to make it better. Mm -hmm. And, but you can't always rely on business people to really call you out when necessary. So therapy sometimes is really important as well. For sure. I have a wrap up question for us because I know yeah. we're reaching the end of our potential time. So Let's say we were to get back together in five years or pick a date in the future. It doesn't matter because the five years is played out in terms of what, when people ask this kind of thing. From where you sit today, what do you think you want for yourself over that period of time? Like if you woke up and we were all going to do this again in, in some period of time in the future, what do you think you want for yourself at that point? What do I think I want for myself but like through the process of getting working again? with everyone or no, like through, so we just said, are you on the path to what, I guess is a question. What mm -hmm. do you think you're on the path to from where you sit today, knowing that we're going to change a ton over that period of time? Someone else go first. Uh, I'll start because I'm this point right now. So just sold fizzle, have a little bit of work to do to wrap it up. I've got other projects going on, but they definitely are not like long-term for me. Barrett, it's, there's an eject button at some point. I'm doing something because there's growth involved, personal growth, there's money involved, but it's not the be-all end-all. So I've been thinking about what's next for me and people have been asking. And I don't have an amazing answer. I don't have, I don't know. And it's, you don't know if something's going to be successful. You also don't know how something is going to feel until you actually do it. You have evidence from the past, but you have to do something and see what it feels like. I just know that I love interacting with an audience. I love being completely in control of what I show up and do every day. And I really did enjoy writing on a regular basis, like creating content. So my plan now is I'm going to write a regular newsletter, build an audience and see where that goes and how it feels. There's a lot of lifestyle stuff involved there. For me, I've realized that being asynchronous is really important. Like over the past couple of years, I've had to show up for so many calls every day, like Zoom calls. And I know that's what like my friends in corporate all have to do. As you rise up in the corporate life, friends now that are middle-aged, they spend nine hours a day mm -hmm. on Zoom from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. When they try to pull back from that, like just clearing their head enough to say hi to their own kids, yeah. And be present is a real challenge. It's a real struggle. And I feel that I'm not that busy, but I'm on Zoom enough that 
I realized that being asynchronous, having that time to actually be with myself to think and explore ideas and then connect with individual people and in that asynchronous way matters. So I'm hopeful that's some path towards fulfillment, Mm -hmm. being able to share my journey, my thoughts, my ideas to help other people again in entrepreneurship, because I guess that's my path now. That's what I'm, that's what I'm on the path towards. And I don't know, we'll check in five years and see where that's led. Steph, you look like you're ready, but no, I'm not. I'm, I want you to go next. <laughs> you're uh, up. Okay. I think I'm just going to say, I'm going to give the caveat. I reserve the right to change this. I think like next week, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I want to be living a radically offline life over that some point in the future deeply connected to a community of very close friends. Like my ideal would be a very close group of friends locally. And then a next circle of people I care deeply about who are throughout the country, because we have friends throughout the country, a life that is by default quiet, except for when we're in community in person. I want to be deeply rooted to a place, a city committed to a physical place. I also want to be writing, I think maybe as the core of the work, maybe just as like a core practice that I'm sharing. I think about people like Barry is someone that who's writing. I really enjoy. He lives on a farm, writes very thoughtfully about economics and local economies. And like he writes some poetry and he just, he's got a very wide range. His core message may not resonate with everyone, which is fine, but I think about David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, who has really had this interesting arc of how he thinks about the meaning of life over time. And think about Edward O. Wilson, who was this fascinating biologist who just died at the age of 91 this year, one of the most prolific scientists of all time. And just like how their writing has shaped me, I would really love to shape other people. I've had this thought of it would be way more worth it to me if I could write for an audience without social media and like maybe... The only way you can correspond with me is by sending a letter to a PO box instead of replying to email because I hate email (laughs) or just like being drastically different from the default in that way. And then having the financial freedom to spend whatever other time I have that's not on writing and not on family, just in service work. That's like, maybe it pays me a little pittance for an honorarium type deal, but that really it's about whatever, working with kids who have been abused or building homes for people in need or something where... There's like this very tangible community-based people-focused like service work that doesn't need to pay me anything, but it's there just because that's like where my heart is a lot of the time. Love it. We'll see. I love it. And Mm -hmm. to me, the thing that I hear Barrett, and it comes back to Steph, I think asking about what are your, maybe she was asking about what are your personal blockers in a way? (laughs) What do you, your shit, she said. I always hear you, Barrett, talking about almost an altruistic sort of life and also undoing some of the things that you experienced in your past and helping other people in the future or not experience those things. And so to get there, I think you have to understand like what's going to subvert that path because of the baggage that we all carry around or the needs that we have. And like mine, Mm -hmm. mine personally tends to be, I need affirmation from other people constantly. I need people to tell me that I'm smart and worthwhile, useful, that sort of stuff. But at the same time, I play the comparison game so much. Mm. And so maybe so being off social media is part of the mm. answer there. 
But just thinking about those blockers and as we think about like, where do we want to be in five years? Here's the thing you want. Here's the other thing on your other shoulder, like keeping you from doing it. And what is mm. that? So I'll just add then to, to cap mine that I think I need to let go of the need for approval that like I'm doing a good, the right thing or like the career mm. success oriented thing. And I need to let go of the need for recognition from yeah. unknown other. And I think part of the community mindset that I want is I want 10 people in my life who know me, understand why I'm doing what I'm doing and appreciate that about me. And that's mm -hmm. not, everyone else doesn't get a say in it basically. And I think I also need to let go of the, I sacrificed myself and worked real hard today and therefore mm -hmm. I did my job. Yeah. Mm, I really enjoy hearing everybody's personal blockers or your shit. I think that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you guys shared that. I can go. I think for me, it's a, it's a tough question. I'll be honest. And I'm sure you guys probably relate to this too, especially and anybody listening who parents out there, these past few years have cost me a lot. Just to be honest, I had a baby and three months after that, the pandemic started and I ran a business in that time. And I burnt out pretty good there after a couple of years of that. And I've been lucky enough. I don't think I mentioned this in my little spiel about what I've been up to, but I've been working for Mariah cause full time for the past year. And that's been incredibly healing for me. Like I just sort of needed like a reset. And I got to the point where I was like two kids in, and I obviously am a child bearer. I'm a mother. So I, that's a whole other thing. And who am I? What am I good at? And what, just a little bit upside down. And so for me, I'm still contending with that and putting the pieces back together a little bit. So I think what it comes down to, if I'm thinking five years ahead, it's funny that writing is a theme. I'll definitely be writing as well, but I just, it's, I, there's no way I can say it without feeling really cliche or corny, but like my kids will be what, like 11 and eight or something. And I'm just, I'm just really want to not be in survival mode. There's a lot of that as a young parent who's building a career where you're just like, you're tired, man. Your, your business is either tiring you out or your kids. And I want to feel very present and feel a lot of peace. I don't even really care. Honestly, I can tell you, I don't even really care what that looks like. I just want to feel very connected and very much at peace. The rest to me is I can figure it out. I think I am at a point in my career that I've never been before where I'm like, it's just money. <laughs> I'm just like at that place where I know that this time that I have is so precious and not in a scarcity kind of way, not like, Oh, I wish my kids were little again, but I just want to be able to look back and be like, I was really there. I was radically there for them and not in a self-sacrificing kind of way, but I really enjoyed that. And to have work that supports me in that is, is all I can ask for. And I'll be very happy with that if I can say it in five years. Mm. I would say mine's similar. We have three kids under three right now, which is just oh a Boy. circus most days. God yes. bless you and Jen. Yes. Holy yeah. shit. That's a lot. It, like some days it's like barely hanging on, just keep it, keeping it together and not mm -hmm. blowing a gasket sometimes. But then also running businesses and putting in the work, harping back to the, you don't need to work hard. I feel like there were phases of my life where I had to work really hard. And now I can't work quote unquote hard because I don't have enough hours to do that. So yeah. Mm. I just have to work smart now. I just have to, whatever hours I have to use them and not waste them. Because I feel like when I, when we first had kids, I was so worried about, I should be like working on my business. Like and I, maybe I could do it while I'm watching them or something. But it's like the whole point of what I was trying to do the past 12 years since I left my corporate job was like afford a family. And now I have a family. So I just need to 
enjoy it and live life mm -hmm. and be present and stuff. So it's always to me a balancing act between that. So I would hope in five years from now, like all my kids will have started at least like kindergarten and first grade and things like that. And so I'll have a little bit more structure than we do now of they'll have set times when they're in school and then hopefully summers I'm not working as hard and still just getting to that mental point with money of I don't need to work five days a week, 40 hours a week, like I try to stick to right now and being a little bit more flexible with mm -hmm. that and being able to enjoy it a bit more. And just, I'm honestly just miss traveling, having not traveled for two and a half years because of the pandemic. So kids are vaccinated now and let's, let's go places, do things and explore a little bit and just enjoy the money that we've worked so hard for over the past few years to get us to, to this point. That's, that's where I'm leaning towards. I don't know what I'll be doing work-wise. I don't really plan that far ahead. I try to do the mentality like Chase is saying is, okay, I'm working on this video right now. And then it's, oh, what's next? And I don't know the next video. Mm -hmm. I have other stuff I already like know I'd have to do next. Mm -hmm. And so thinking that far out for me work-wise is hard. I can see what I'm doing this week and next week and that's about it. And then I'll figure it out mm -hmm. go from there. What about blockages for you or, the, or like the stoppers? Uh, for me, it's always scale, feeling like I can do everything myself, hiring people to help me. Like mm. those are always the things. I like to have a really lean business. I like to not have Zoom calls. I like to not have employees and have to set a culture when it's just you know, me and one other person that I'm related to running my business for eight years. That works for me. And through pandemic and stuff like that, keeping things lean has been helpful. I don't have big overhead to, to take care of and a lot of people that I need to manage. So mm -hmm. I would say that's always been my blocker is scale, but it's also something I pride myself on of keeping things lean so I don't have certain scale problems. But I would say that's the biggest thing that maybe holds me back. Mm. I relate to the scale as a stopper. I think where I would like to have more of a sense of there's a deep irony here, more of a sense of doing what I actually want to be doing instead of just responding to what the incoming is. So some like an example of it right now is I'm going to start bringing in some music equipment for people who make music by themselves <laughs> for lonely musicians, lonely bedroom musicians, because it's a part, it's like a, it's something that I've always done and I've never brought that on the channel. I've always, I've made lots of music on the channel, but so making more things that are in, that are like, the irony here is it, the cha the channels, it's just me. It, like talk about scale issues. Like it's been just me basically for forever. And yet I can spend so much time making stuff for other people. So that would be in five years from now, I'd love, I would love for that to be more of the focus of the, of the creative work that I'm doing. I would also like to have some of these potential offshoot ideas that I have that are, that could be standalone businesses or even just limited runs of products and things. I'd love to have like one to three of those things out in the world, whether or not they're ongoing or just a Kickstarter or a, a project like that. I would also like to see, no, not that one so much. In terms of blockages, in terms of blockages, <laughs> I think the scale. I think this is the first Chase time in the one. podcast. Yeah, yeah. when he self-edits himself, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the blockages I relate, Caleb, to scale, to always being the one. I love 
being my own, like I am everything, you guys. And I have always been everything. There was a few weeks there where I had an editor and that would have been great. I don't know why that didn't, I don't know why I just never started sending him more work. I, cause I just started doing it more myself. Like again, I had a virtual assistant. That was great. It was great to have a virtual assistant. Why am I not doing that anymore? It's just like, ah, wasn't that helpful. It just wasn't that, I'll just do it myself. And yet, as I say this, I'm in like a glut of email. I am slowly clawing myself out of a summer's worth of emails that are just like, some of them are really good emails I should be responding to you guys. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about this one. So the scale thing I relate to, I get scared about carrying someone else's overhead. I get scared about money still. To me, I want to be a dancer and I'm just here dancing and dad says that's fine or whatever. (laughs) But I would love to see some more maturity there. And I think scale is an interesting summary of that as a both a blockage and as something that I'd but fuck money, right? So you can have lots of money and not have any of the creative fulfillment. And and you can also have a lot of creative fulfillment and not have the money. Both are nice when you can get them. That's, a, that's good. That's, that's the thing where I land. So great to it. see all of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 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 we, uh, we should start up a, like a business training program. therapy hour with the former fizzle crew what we should do you know what i would do differently if we were going to do that again i would go like all right here's what we're going to do we're just going to sell tickets to an event we're going to be it's going to be a weekend long event you're going to come we're going to figure out what we're going to do probably do some customer conversation probably defining an audience probably like some like how not to get addicted or trapped in one of these one of these platforms but it's just a fucking weekend you're going to come, you're going to meet a lot of people. And do you know how many, do you know how many tickets I think we could sell of that? Five. <laughs> no, we, we get to go for free, Corbett. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> why we get to go for free. I think we could sell a lot of, I think we could sell a lot of tickets for that. I, I think a live event stuff is, uh, I'm, we're actively, we bought a house out here in, uh, in Austin on five acres and we're going to be doing live events like couples workshops and shit get physical do some movement but and and even music stuff we'll see if it ends up actually happening but that if i was doing fizzle again it'd be like all right we're doing fizzle west in january or something so if any of you get bored and want to sell some tickets you just a holler we'll be on a plane (laughs) well all right that sounds great chase here's what i reflect back for that i just heard and all that i think Number one, what a privilege to get to be on each other's journeys for some amount of 10 years. We all grew up together in our own ways Mm. and at different stages of that trajectory. And there's a lot of hard-earned wisdom sitting on this call right now of just like real entrepreneurship challenges, real business challenges that have almost created like a centeredness, it seems, on what really matters, that business is fun and there are things to be learned and money to be earned and all of that. But really it comes back to stuff that's much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And I guess if we're yeah. like, that seems like the message we're leaving with people is yes, business is a tool in some ways for the deeper stuff that we're all after and don't get those things twisted basically. That's well said. Yeah. Yeah. Take us home chaser. You heard it here first folks and you heard it here <laughs> last. <laughs> you might, you might be itching for expression. You might be hungry for more income. 
you might be just looking for a friend to read the comic book that you made and just looking for a little bit of validation. You might be looking for some validation. I'll be honest, all of you are probably looking for validation. But you, you might be capable too. You might be able to really make it work because making it work doesn't happen in a moment. It's more of a marathon. Making it work, if we've learned anything from our 10 years at Fizzle, is that A, it is possible. B, there are tools in the internet that make it more viable possibly than ever. C, if you don't know how to tap into the market and the audience and the actual energy of people out there who might need a solution to a problem that they have, a meaningful problem in their life, if you can't connect to them, whether it's virtually or in real life, get a sense of their need, you might be a little bit up shit creek without a paddle. C, D, if you can't connect to your own voice and do your own, find your own way to bring something true and meaningful and maybe even beautiful into the world, that can serve you really well. But it's possible, it's not guaranteed and there are no, you're not allowed to expect success. You do want to have a kind of a condom on your prefrontal cortex that's a little bit like, oh, I think I can do it. Like you, you like I can do it without necessarily expecting success because we got to we got to push through some stuff. It's been a hell of a journey for myself and for all of us here. We are so grateful that you've listened in, that you've been why would you have listened in? Because you've got your ass on the line for something. Or you're going to put your ass on the line for something. So it, it would be pretty empty to be having these conversations by ourselves. And we've known that you've been there the whole time. And we're grateful, not just for you listening, but for you popping your head up out of the stream of normalcy to go, all right, what could I do? What could I make? And to be in the anxiety of that question, right? Because you can't expect to win. You can't expect it's going to be easy. You can't, you can't expect it's going to happen overnight. And we're just here to reiterate that to you again and again. Because if you, there's a chance that if you keep going, you might get there. And because you're learning. I've learned a lot. Corbett Barr, hanging with you. Caleb, Steph, Barrett, and all the fizzlers. It's been a hell of a journey. And as much as this is a bookend and like a, in a very real way, a kind of a finality, there's also this sense of, of reconnection to you guys. I'm, but up, but, but I'm loving it. <laughs> there's an appropriate way to end this, Chase, which is you have been. That's right. I have been Chase Wordman Reeves. I've been Corbett Barr. I've been Caleb Lawrence Wojcik. I've been Steph Crowder. And I've been Barrett Allen Brooks. We'll we'll see you there. there. We'll see you another time. time.